This is case 83 from the Shoyoroku. Thou attends the sick. The introduction. The whole body is being sickness. Female acuity is hard to cure. This grass is the medicine and Manjushri uses it well. How can that compare to calling on a transcendent person and gaining peace? and well-being. The case. Guishan asked Dao, where have you come from? Dao said, I come from tending the sick. Guishan said, how many people were sick? Dao said, there were the sick and the not sick. And Guishan said, the one who is not sick isn't that you, ascetic G? Dao said, Sick or not sick has nothing to do with it at all. Quickly, speak, speak. Nguishan said, Even if I could say anything, it would have no relation. Hongji's verse. When has the wonderful medicine ever passed his mouth? Even the miraculous physician can't hold his wrist. As though existent, he is basically not non-existent. Utterly empty, he is basically not existent. Not perishing, yet born, he lives eternally. Alive without dying. Completely transcending before prehistoric Buddhas. Walking alone after the empty eon, subsisting peacefully, sky covers, earth supports. Moving on, the sun flies, the moon runs. The whole body is sickness. It will also be accurate to say that the whole body is being medicine. All of it is always found right here within this body. And more importantly, within our reach. What is this sickness? Why is it so hard to cure? As practitioners, we turn to life to find answers. We study life, we inquire within. And the past four years, along with the turmoil of the recent election, offer great window to the ways this sickness manifests in all of us. We are witnessing stark divisiveness that is being fueled by intensifying hatred and vitriol, leading to blindness, deafness, and justified refusal to accept and listen to anyone who is perceived to be on the other side of the divide. Of course, it would be true to say that the divisiveness in this country was not born in 2016. However, over the past four years, it has been systematically and purposefully deepened by an extremely egoic entity who saw it as an opportunity to be exploited 
for power gain and self-aggrandizement. That's the specialty of the ego. The language and behavior we were exposed to in the past four years were designed, designed to deepen the divide by creating a sense of us against them, raising the level of anger and hatred, and essentially stoke our deepest fears in any way possible. And it seemed to have worked very well for us, for all of us, as we find ourselves in an extremely divisive times with rising levels of violence and discrimination. And there's no need to look too far. Yesterday, in D.C., violence erupted during demonstrations. Why? Why are we, what is the point and where are we going with this? Can violence end violence? Can violence lead to love? Can it mend anything? It's interesting, you know, there were many reactions of world leaders recently about the elections here. And one of them said that the world needs good losers much more than great leaders. In fact, those who know how to lose well teach greatness by example. You know, the words and actions that originate in delusion speak directly to a blind and destructive aspect of our being. It is never another, it's not the other. Although what we consider the other can wake up the otherness in us. And there is no divide, essentially. It is our own blindness. It is our own blindness that gives rise to such an egoic entity or entities. And it is our own blindness that follows it. In other words, we do it to ourselves. Your ancient and tribal forces within us that seem to be easily brought out when we are exposed to the right kind of language or the right kind of behavior that broadcasts on the same frequency. And of course, our history has taught us that all it takes is one mad person that knows how to play the game, how to rally up the support of millions, and how to trigger that in us. And again, it's in all of us, regardless of what we believe, what we support, who we support. And of course, thanks to social media, it is a lot faster and a lot easier to manipulate the crowds these days. It is easy to consume slogans, headlines, and snippets of information that much easier than to take the time to question and investigate on our own. It is easier to abdicate their responsibility. A couple of weeks ago, I, I listened to an interview with an internet social media expert who was talking about how the growing widespread of disinformation on social media and various websites threatens our democracy. And at the end of, towards the end of the interview, he was asked, what should we look for? What are the biggest threats that we should look for or watch out for when we search information online? And his quick and short answer was ourselves. We have to watch out for ourselves. We have to be careful because very quickly we read something and it becomes a thing. 
whether it's real or not, is completely irrelevant. It becomes real. And we become an extension of that. Through our words, our actions, thoughts, obviously. If we don't take the time, and he explained that, he said that if we have to take the time to fact check and verify information, and this is on us, and if we don't do that, then the direction is, is clear, or it becomes very clear. So what we need to do first is recognize that it is quite easy to be fooled and led by false narratives that arise from delusion and feed it. And maybe because it is so familiar to us, because it is within us, that it makes sense to follow. There's something in us that recognizes delusion. And delusion is a pervasive illness that touches all of us. And even if we think that we are on the other side or the others are deluded, and that thought itself also supports delusion because it supports a divide. There is no others because there is no other side. If I think I am not deluded, I create a divide. If I think that I am deluded, I create a divide. If I think I'm right and the others are wrong, I create a divide. Well, who doesn't think so? Yesterday in D.C., well, two sides. Can we say that one of them thought that, well, we're wrong, so we should listen to the others? On either side, we are right, you are wrong. You don't understand. You don't see. And maybe I feel like you're lost cause, so I'm not even going to bother to explain. I'll just shout at you. Or maybe hit you. Because you don't understand. As he said in the introduction, the whole body is being sickness. Vimalakirti is hard to cure. It is a challenge. Is there more worthwhile challenge than this? Vimalakirti was, as most of you know, a layman, very deeply realized layman at the time of the Buddha, student of the Buddha. And at one point, he got sick. So he said, I am sick for the purpose of teaching. And he was in his room, laying in bed. And the Buddha was sitting, talking with his followers. And the Buddha sensed that Vimalakirti is ill. And he wanted to send his disciples, or one of his disciples, to check up on him, to see what's going on with him. So he went through his disciples one by one and they all knew him very well and were afraid of the depth of his understanding of the Dharma. So they find, find excuses to not go. At the end, Manjushri agreed to go. So he went. He entered the room. And there was a short dialogue began at that point about the illness. So Manjushri said, this illness of yours, layman, what form does it take? Vimalakirti said, my illness has no form. It cannot be seen. 
And Manjushri said, is this illness seated in the body or is it in the mind? Vimalakirti said, it is not seated in the body for it is apart from bodily form. And it is not seated in the mind for the mind is phantom-like thing. Manjushri kept going and asked of the four major elements, earth, water, fire, and wind, to which of these elements does this illness pertain? Vimalakirti said, this illness does not permeate this, to these four elements, and neither it is separated from them. Yet, the illness of living beings arise from these four elements. Manjushri said, Layman, what is the cause of this illness? Has it been with you long? And how can it be cured? Vimalakirti replied, This illness of mine is born of ignorance and feelings of attachment. Because all living beings are sick, therefore I am sick. If all living beings are relieved of sickness, then my sickness will be mended. Why? Because the Bodhisattva, for the sake of living beings, enters the realm of birth and death. And because he is in the realm of birth and death, he suffers illness. If living beings can gain release from illness, then the Bodhisattva will no longer be ill. Then Manjushri asked Vimalakirti, How should the Bodhisattva go about com comforting and instructing others? Vimalakirti replied, Tell them about the impermanence of the body, but do not tell them to despise or turn away from the body. Tell them about the suffering of the body, but do not tell them to strive for nirvana. Tell them that the body is without ego, but urge them to teach and guide living beings. Tell them to use their own illness as means of sympathizing with the illness of others. For they should understand their suffering. To use our own suffering to help others who suffer. That sounds much better than I know and I'm right. Therefore you are wrong. What about all of us? suffer together what about sharing that what about sharing with each other that fear is there for all of us the way we go about trying to calm it down varies but what about the fear itself Vimalakirti then goes on to say that the illness is sprung out of deluded thinking of being upside down and of various endless attachments. This illness of mine is born of ignorance and feelings of attachments. My disease, my restlessness, the feelings of inadequacy, alienation, my anger, my sadness, my fears, all of it is born out of being attached, born out of not seeing clearly. 
and what is seen clearly. Zazen is a practice of total immersion, deep observation, which allows us to see through our ears and hear through our eyes, using Dongshan's words. To truly see, to truly practice Zazen, means to strip down to being completely naked, or be willing to strip down to be completely naked, to embrace being vulnerable, and to bear witness to whatever comes. And in today's divisive reality, that means to bear witness to the way suffering creates more suffering. And Zazen is also the practice of complete acceptance. And by just sitting there, we can learn to love without borders and divisions. We can learn to take down the walls in the mind and allow whatever comes to be there without making any story of it, without having it become attached to the stories already playing in the background or the foreground. So when we sit there and anger comes, it means there is just an experience of anger. When pain comes, there is just an experience of pain. When feelings of inadequacy, alienation come, there is just experience of inadequacy and alienation. When fear comes, there is just an experience of fear. And when feelings of elation and contentment come, there is just that, only an experience of elation and contentment. None of it comes with a story. None of it create a story. They come from nowhere, subsist nowhere, and return to nowhere. Can we allow for that? Can we avoid the temptation, the strong temptation, to make something off it, to make someone off it, to make another off it? And while all these experiences come and go, the simple instruction in Zazen is do not follow them. Don't, don't ignore, don't reject, don't judge, don't love them, don't hate them. Just don't follow them. And when we practice this on a regular basis and lean into a deep state of observation, we begin to see what is obvious. All experiences, all experiences are in constant flux. Nothing stays the same even for a second. Therefore, nothing can be grasped or rejected. When not grasped or rejected, all experiences, all passing experiences are not personal and do not have the ability to create me as their owner or as the one who is having the experience. And when, when the experiences are not my experiences, they become or they are seen as universal in nature. If they're not my experiences, 
whose experiences are there. And so in the study of Zazen, seeing clearly means that in the experiences, or the experience of my anger, there is no my. There is only the experience of anger. And my pain, there is no my. There is only what arises. No more, no less. It is the person that drops away, not the experience. And it is the person that has to drop away and not, instead of arguing with, with an experience that we may or may not want to have. And if the person is not there, where's the argument? Where's the fight? When I, I, as the fixed entity drops away, all experiences can be seen in a much broader and universal way, and we can have a better understanding of other human beings with whom we share this wondrous existence as we chant. When you drop away, everybody else appears instantly as you, with you. We, each of us essentially is the catalyst for the divide and the catalyst for the cure as well. And in terms of acceptance, we often talk about learning to accept others who may have different opinions, different appearances, or maybe come from different cultures. But such discussions do not go beyond the conventional pro provisional understanding since there is still, there's still a fixed sense of other which I am working on accepting. Fine, I will live with that. I'm willing to accept you as the one who is having other or different opinions than what I have. There is still you. There is still I. And yes, it's much better than remaining in a state of conflict, but it doesn't go deep enough. We must go beyond self and other and ultimately learn to accept unity in every step and every experience. So instead of accepting differences, how about accepting unity? How about diving deeply into unity that we actually see it in what we call another or what we call ourselves. And to realize, it means, to accept means to realize in this case. And this realization and the understanding is at the root of compassionate action. Vimalakirti is hard to cure because we can't just put a bandaid on it and move on or learn to coexist and move on. We have to take the time to investigate, get to the bottom of it, not abdicate the responsibility and do that in Zen training or as our Zen training. You know, by deeply examining the human condition through regular zazen, 
and of course ongoing observation, we can see that th this lies in everyone. The illness is in everyone and the cure is in everyone. Opposition is only in the mind. Yunman said, medicine and disease quell each other. That which makes us ill can heal us as well. Observing reality, seeing what's happening, for example, what happened yesterday in Washington, D.C., just watching that, we can use that to grow the divide or shrink it. We can get more upset. Or we can see and understand that there's a way to stop this. And it begins with us. In fact, it begins with our picking and choosing. I like, I don't like. I agree, I disagree. That's where it's at. But the reasons for us to like or dislike are so rooted and so strong that maybe too much to ask of ourselves. But is it too much to ask? It feels that way. The commentary goes on to say, this grass is the medicine and Manjushri uses it well. This grass, not the ones you smoke. There is a story about Manjushri and Sudana who were talking about illness. And Manjushri said to Sudana, go find something that does not have illness in it. Sudana went, looked for it, came back, saying he couldn't find anything that does not have illness in it. Manjushri then said, find me something that has medicine in it. Sudana plucked a blade of grass from the ground, held it up. Manjushri said, this is a 16-foot body of the Buddha. This. This 16-foot body of the Buddha. There's nowhere that medicine cannot be found. There is nowhere that illness cannot be found. In this koan, Guishan asked Dao, where have you come from? Dao said, I come from tending the sick. Now Guishan and Dao were great Zen masters from 9th century China. Both were disciples of Pai Chang, although Dao ended up succeeding to Shitu, who is in our lineage. So where have you come from? Dao said, I come from tending the sick. Where did he have to go to do that? Where are those who are sick? Where is compassionate action needed? 
We practice, we live, we reside in what we call the Buddha field, which is nowhere else but the very place we happen to be at and the interaction we happen to encounter. At any given moment, any given place, and any given state of mind we happen to be tired, hungry, irritated, happy, afraid. That's where it's needed. That's where it happens. So if it's everywhere, how is it that he said, I come from tending the sick? The footnote says, the foremost of the field of blessings is not lacking. Of course, it's everywhere. But if we think it's a job, if we think we have to be at a certain state of mind, then it is and it's not. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Sometimes I'm ready, sometimes I'm not ready. Sometimes I have patience. Many times I don't. So Grishan inquired further and asked, how many people were sick? Dao said, there were the sick and the not sick. And the footnote says, well, it turns out that you have a second moon. You know, we say before and after, or sick and not sick, deluded or enlightened. But before realization, after realization, what is the same remains the same, and what is different remains different. The cure is found where the sickness is at, and the sickness manifests in a healthy body. Where is the second moon? Grishan then said, the one who is not sick, isn't that you, ascetic Ji? Ji was short for Yuan Ji, that was other name. So isn't that you who is not sick? In other words, being a seasoned practitioner and being the one who has broken through entanglements, are you not the one helping those who are still stuck? Don't we feel this way? When there is a divide, we know the others don't. Well, they're saying exactly the same. So how about that? How about understanding or experiencing that, or maybe coming to realization better, that everybody Everybody on this planet is somewhere on their spiritual path. Practitioners or not, everybody is somewhere along that endless path of what we call endless path of spirituality. Do we allow for that? What about us? We may think we have arrived at some understanding. What about other times where we were not so awakened as we may think we are? Now that we have maybe disentangled some knots, well, everybody should do the same by now, because I've done it. 
What about others that maybe are further along that path? What about the fact that we are all on it, in it, together, as one? And yes, different levels on the same path. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It is essentially the same path. And we have to find it in us. We have to discover it in us. If we want to ever get out of this endless cycle, endless cycle of violence, hatred, animosity, hurting each other, So, are we not stuck? Do we have a better understanding? And this is very fitting and relevant to the divisiveness we all face. Right? Those of us who are happy about the results of the elections may feel that finally, finally, wisdom prevailed and we are on the awakened side of the divide, which of course would make sense when we think about it. And there's plenty of evidence to support such a way of thinking. But as long as there is a divide, there is a second moon. To the thinking mind, there is a fixed notion that sees wisdom as the medicine which stands in opposition to the illness of delusion. And within this fixed realm, there are the sick and the not sick. And of course, I am the one who is not sick. Actually, before the election, after the election. It's very easy to become self-righteous about that. So we are, they are the ones who are free and understand and the others don't understand and therefore are stuck. And the most important challenge for us as practitioners is to get beyond such a divide that seems perfectly logical and realize that wisdom is the recognition of unity within the mud of differences. Realize that there is no second moon. That's why Tao says, seek or not seek has nothing to do with it at all. Speak quickly, speak quickly. Can we speak so quickly that the mind doesn't trap us before we open the mouth? Can we speak before a thought arises and swallows us? Grishan said, even if I could say it, it would have no relation. And this, this dialogue is a beautiful expression of revolving the Dharma. And Dao and Grishan held a conversation without getting pinned down to any position or either side and dwelling nowhere they raise the body mind and at the end of the conversation Grishan sums it up very clearly by stating that there are no words to describe it and none of us can say anything that will capture the essence of unity and compassionate action or compassionate action that comes out of realizing unity The verse, when has the wonderful medicine ever passed his mouth? 
And the footnote says, cannot be swallowed, cannot be spat out. We are stuck with it. But are we stuck? We are stuck with the challenge. You know, I think sometimes we don't feel that we're up for it. We go through all this, all of it, everything that's happening right now, the, the, the great divisiveness, the pandemic, everything else that's going around on this planet. We feel so defeated by all that. And I think we feel that because we don't think that we're up for it. We don't recognize the great capacity we have for adaptability as human beings. We are so adaptable. We only scratch the surface in the way we use it. And we go home, close the door, close the windows, put our heads under the pillow and whine. Why? Because we don't trust it. Because we don't think we have what it takes. We have plenty of it. And we have to learn to trust it. Get in touch with it and trust it. And then it says, even the miraculous physician cannot hold his wrist. And this is talking about the Buddha. Even the Buddha cannot do anything right now. Why? Because it's up to us. It's up to each of us. I think Dalai Lama said, leave the old dude alone. In different words, but pretty much that. Leave him alone. You realize. You actualize. It is said that when taking the medicine, the mouth is forgotten. And when taking the pulse, the wrist is forgotten. When taking the medicine, all is forgotten. Self and other is forgotten. As though existent, he is basically not non-existent. And the footnote says, it just says it is everywhere in the world. Utterly empty, he's basically not existent. Unextinguished, he's born, undestroyed, he lives eternally. Not perishing, yet born, alive without dying. Completely transcending before prehistoric Buddhas. Walking alone after the empty eon, subsisting peacefully. Sky covers, earth supports. Moving on, the sun flies, the moon runs. And this is called the function of the whole body, returning, to the, fu returning the function to the substance. And that is a state of complete merging. When still being the root of heaven and earth, Zazen, in action, harmonizing the minds of sages and, sa and saints, and then at the end, it is asking us, do you understand this kind of talk? Do we understand this kind of talk? Is it that foreign? This kind of talk offers a shortcut to understanding unity. 
and to living in accordance with reality. The realization of non-existence within existence frees us from the incessant grasping and from the fear of impermanence. And so instead of looking for ways to preserve this form we happen to occupy for the time being, the energy can be devoted to expressing it in a most fitting way. And when we accept impermanence, we realize that we are timeless. When we realize timelessness, we are truly liberated. It is us. But until we realize it, it is so foreign. There's a story about a Taoist priest who came across a Buddhist master and asked him, in the Buddhist teachings, is there a method of eternal life that surpasses the methods of the wizards of China? And those wizards were the Taoists at the time that had all kinds of special methods to extend life. The Buddhist master spat on the ground and said, how can this country have a method of eternal life? Even if you can extend your years, once the reward is ended, you fall. He then held up an old Buddhist sutra and said, this is the method of the great wizards to, et to eternally realize liberation and forever live birth and death. Right now, get beyond it. Why bother to extend it? How can you extend that which is essentially eternal? And Lao Tzu said, the one who dies yet does not, the one who dies yet does not perish is long lived. And what needs to die is our obsession with weaving stories and grasping onto them with all our might. And then what doesn't perish is revealed and expressed through our temporal form as actionable love. I know Zen doesn't really mention love too often. And I think it's just because we don't want to trigger what we, our emotional way of interpreting the word love. But this is actually talking about eternal love which can be expressed right now. But it takes effort. It takes willingness. It takes personal responsibility. The willingness to reach out, stretch out. Leonard Cohen said, if you can stretch out, stretch your hand out, you can touch mine. And that's what it takes. Stretching out, which means beyond our comfort level, beyond my people or the people I used to, I, I'm used to hanging out with, the people whom their language I can understand, relate to. They're all our people. And it has to be now. I'll finish with a line, a very sobering line from the Dhammapada. People forget that their lives will end soon. For those who remember, all conflicts come to an end. Thank you.